Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We welcome in a man that thrived in the bigs with his soul patch. A 12-year MLB vet that accumulated a career 37 wins... 3.08 ERA and 189 saves at an insane 81% save percentage. He's a 2007 All-Star and American League Rolays Relief Man of the Year award winner, not to mention shared a dorm with Tom Brady. We welcome in the big guy, JJ Putz. JJ, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? Good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, but right off the bat, you know, I got to ask, you dorm with Brady, what was that like? So he lived like in the... the, the the room next to me um you know he was kind of like what you see him as now kind of just a cool laid-back kind of kid um was really always down at the football offices um just a good dude really good dude yeah it's it was interesting because uh I didn't know you, you uh you were at the University of Michigan around that same time so that's pretty cool uh one of the things that I first when I was doing some research about you is I saw do you remember when you uh, pitched in the against the Mets in 2013, and the song "Kickstart My Heart" came on. Yep, my son uh, loves to play that video for me, and he <laughs> still gets a good kick out of that. I've never seen anything like that. How can that they let that happen? It's just wild. That's yeah, got to be. Know, it's, it, yes, it's it's uh, it's a scary situation to be honest with you, because you know you're just lucky you didn't get hurt during that thing. And you know, working for the Diamondbacks now, um, I, I know the, the gentleman that did it. And I mean, he felt terrible. And it was literally, he just slipped when he had his hand on the board. He slipped and it hit play and it, like just bad timing, but uh, not good entertainment, I guess. <laughs> Your reaction on that was priceless because you just throw the ball at the ground and you can tell that you weren't prepared for it. Yeah, I, I just, you know, they always say like, even if like a hitter calls timeout, just kind of finish the throw. Well, that one was like the ultimate like distraction. I mean, to be honest with you, it scared the bejesus out of me. And all I could do was think in my head, just throw the ball. Really, whatever you do, just throw it. And thankfully, it never got past the white lines or else it would have been a ball. So it was like literally just a no pitch. So, Yeah, that was wild. And it's interesting because, again, one of the things that we wanted to talk about with you today, talking about being a great relief pitcher as, as you were yourself when you played – this year's super crazy, and I feel like we could have you put your analyst hat on for a second, talk about these closer carousels that we're seeing in the bigs, not even just this year, but just in general. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was, what are your thoughts about this closer by committee that we've seen take shape? Do you feel that as a reliever, it's harder to not to basically not know your role and when you're going to be called upon in the game as these closers in the past that know, hey, I'm the ninth inning guy, or these guys that are, I'm the setup man. I'm the long relief guy. Do you feel like it's, it's a lot harder to, to be prepared in this sense now? You know, I, that's a good question. And, and I think there's just, you'll, you'll probably get a million different answers if you ask a bunch of different people. But, 
you know, for me, I was always a guy that loved to know what my role was going to be every single day. And I think when you start to see these closer by committees, it's, it's not really like done by accident. Like these, the, the analytics that are involved in the game today are, are mind blowing. And I think if those teams that are going with that closer by committee mentality, those guys are already well aware of their role could change day to day. So they're more, they're more inclined to really kind of watch where the lineup's kind of rolling over as it gets later into the game where they can do the left-right matchups. Now, now with the new rule where you know, lefty has to face three hitters, you, you may see that, that closer by committee kind of dwindle a little bit just because of the way that the lineup shapes. But, um, you know, for me, and I, I think you ask a lot of the guys, again, it's all about communication. So if the manager's communicating to like two or three guys, like, listen, if you guys – are, are available that night and it comes up and like trout's going to be, you know, leading off about it. And I'm going to you, but if it's like, uh, like a lefty, we're going to go to you. And I think as long as there's communication, I think it can be, you know, very successful, but I think the key word there is communication. Right. And kind of going off of with that, I feel like one of the things that's changed along with this closer by committees, I feel like that the pressure on closers have become as big as ever. There's already this year 14 teams that have used numerous closers, mostly due to bad performance reasons. Do you feel that there's a lot more of a quick hook if you're not one of the top three to four elite closers in the game? And do you think in 60 games that you personally would feel a lot more pressure closing games than you would have in a normal season? Well, I think the fact that there is only 60 games in the regular season I mean, literally every one of these games matter and they don't have the luxury of, you know, a closer struggling through April and kind of riding the ship through May and June and then having them down the stretch. They're going to have to pull the plug on some of these guys quicker than they normally would. And, you know, I think for a lot of these guys that feed like I did, I fed off like the adrenaline of the crowd. And, you know, you can put music on, you can pump in crowd noise, but there, there's a difference when there's people standing and, and yelling and cheering and, I would be surprised if some of those guys just don't have that same feeling when they step out on the mound. Right. That makes sense. It's, it's kind of unforeseen territory and it's interesting just to hear your thoughts again, being a former closer, being in those high leverage situations. I, I do want to kind of transition to your career personally. And you were taken by the Mariners in the sixth round of the 99 draft de debuted in 2003. What was the feeling like when you made your major league debut? Well, it was a big relief, to be honest with you. I, my parents had just flown from Michigan to Seattle because the AAA was in Tacoma, and my uncle lives in Tacoma. So I was living with him. So my parents came out. We had, like, an off day. And I'm not kidding you. My parents were probably at my uncle's house for, like, three hours. And Danny Rowan called me on the phone, our AAA manager, and said, hey, pack your stuff. You're going to Cleveland in the morning. And, like, that's literally, like, a four-hour drive to my parents' house. But they're all the way in Seattle now. So – I fly to Cleveland, meet the team for a night game, and then we go to Yankee Stadium next. I didn't pitch in any of those games. Fly back to Seattle. We had an off day again. And then um, Kazuhiro Suzaki, the closer at the time, was going to be coming off the DL the next day, after the next game, sorry. So, like, here I now I am. I'm pumped I got into the big leagues. But now I'm, I know I'm getting sent back down when he comes off the DL, so there's a chance I don't even get into the game. But it ended up working out. I made my debut in Seattle. My parents ended up were there, so that was special. Um, but there's, there's, there's just a feeling that you never will forget, and, and nobody will really truly understand until they've actually been in those shoes. And I just remember that long run from that Seattle bullpen out left center. I just kept telling myself, you can make it all the way to the mound. Like, don't trip, don't fall. Don't 
That's awesome. And it's interesting because you can correct me if I'm wrong. I was I was doing some look over your pitch mix and you had a great fastball that got up to about 97 miles an hour. And then you also threw a slider that wasn't considered a, a plus pitch in your arsenal. So where kind of I was reading that made a big change in your career. You talked with the closer at the time, Twins legend, Eddie Guardado, oh, yeah. and he and he helped you work on a splitter. Do you yep. feel that was very vital for your career, being able to start taking off? It wasn't even vital for my career. It changed my life, to be honest with you. Um, I kind of messed around with it the year prior, and it was it was it was it was not good. And Eddie was my throwing partner in spring training, and he asked me like how I was holding this thing. He literally spun the ball like a quarter turn in my hand, where I didn't have any seams on the ball. He said, "Just throw this as hard as you can." It fell off the table. I think I struck out the side in my spring training game that night, and then. The rest was like pretty much history. But I went from being like a like a fringy, you know, reliever, maybe setup guy to, you know, a closer, which everybody knows is a big difference uh, when you go into arbitration your first year. So Eddie, and I've told him this a million times, still a dear friend. He literally changed my life with that pitch. What What is the throwing partner? Uh, if you wouldn't mind explaining that part. What is the throwing yeah, so, partner? So in, in spring training, you kind of just get paired up depending on who's – they usually have so many pitchers. You have like group A and group B. And you just kind of pair up, and that's like you're throwing – you play catch with that guy every day, long toss. And, you know, when you get done with your long toss, you kind of bring it back into about 60 feet. And usually one guy will get down for the other guy, and you'll kind of throw like a little soft – we call it flat ground. And um, that's when – that's when Eddie was like, listen, that split sucks. Like, just try throwing it like this. <laughs> here you go. It just starts coming off the table. That's cool. That's awesome. So, JJ, it sounds like that was really kind of what changed your career. So, I just want to go for kind of a six-year window from 2006 to 2008, you had 91 saves. From 2009 to 2010, you had five saves. And then from 2011 to 2012, you had 77 saves. So what was it mentally to kind of have that roller coaster? And after the 09, 010 seasons, did you ever think that you'd be a closer again? I, I did. Um, you know, getting traded from the from the Mariners to the Mets um, was, was definitely shocking to me. Um, I think everybody would say that, you know, when you make it to the big leagues, you, you, you think that you're going to stay with that team your whole career. Mm -hmm. And to get traded to another team, um, not only being a closer and then going to be a setup guy, that was a big, that was a big change. Um, but you know, you know, K Rod was K Rod. Um, I, I thought we had the, the, the makings of a really good team. Unfortunately, that 09 season, like nobody stayed healthy. I mean, we had injuries up and down that our starting lineup, our rotation, our bullpen, um, and things just didn't work out in New York. And then I signed with the White Sox uh, in 2010. It's kind of like a rebuilding year. I came off a little bit of uh, elbow surgery, and um, you know. Everybody's got a lot of different opinions of Ozzie Guillen, but, uh, you know, another guy that probably extended my career was him because he wouldn't allow me to throw, like, back-to-back -back, uh, games in April coming off surgery. And, you know, being on a one-year free agent contract, like, those are the kind of guys you abuse uh, because you just got them for one year. And mm -hmm. he was very, uh, very good to me early on in that season, and I was able to build up some momentum during that year, had a, had a really good year. And then kind of, you know, back into free agency and then Arizona came knocking and then, you know, living here for the last, I mean, I moved out here in 2002. So this was home. So to be able to stay home and play and, uh, you know, start over again as a closer was, was, was really cool. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Was there a reason that you chose to, to go back into the Diamondbacks organization as opposed to the Mariners organization where you had spent the majority of your career? Yeah, I mean, one was just the want. I think um, Arizona was just in a different place at the time than, than Seattle was. Um, and it really came down, I believe, to like Arizona, Texas, and Baltimore. And Baltimore really wasn't ever in the cards just because I didn't really want to go to Florida for spring training. Uh, it's on the East Coast. Um, Texas, not terrible, but uh, at the end of the day, being you know Arizona just moved up to Salt River Fields, which was where I was living at the time, was like ten minutes from my house. So I literally got to sleep in my my own bed all season long uh, during spring training and during the regular season. So that 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 carried a lot away for me, um, just to be able to be home and, and be around the kids. That's awesome. I I I can't let this pass i'm a chicago guy by heart so i wanted to ask i grew up my mom had a friend who had white Sox tickets so when i went to a game it was a white Sox game uh can you tell me when you were in chicago what was your what was your go-to if you needed a quick meal was it a chicago beef was it a hot dog was there a local spot you want to i want to hear a little bit about being in chicago because you had a nice year I yeah hope, i'm hoping you had a positive memories of uh, I had, my hometown you can ask my wife too. It was by far our most favorite summer as, as a big leaguer living in Chicago. And we lived in Bucktown. I don't know if you know where Bucktown is, but it's kind of by Lincoln park. you kind of walked all these bars and restaurants and our kind of go-to there was this place called Northside bar and grill. They had like the best nachos. So like anytime we got done early with a game, come home and she's like, Hey, let's go get a beer and some nachos. We'd walk down the street and two of my good, good or one of my, one of my best college buddies, lived probably four blocks from the place we rented in Bucktown. So awesome. Michigan based a ton of Michigan alumni friends for my wife and I in, in town. So it was, it was truly an awesome summer. Yeah, man. I, I, I love going and, uh, and you had a good, you had a great year for the White Sox that year, uh, pitching really well. And I love hearing about Ozzy, you know, Ozzy's a guy who White Sox fans, they still love Ozzy, of course. <laughs> of course, they Ozzy, do. Ozzy got us the Ozzy got the White Sox the World Series, you know. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll love to know this. I'm coaching a 12U club baseball team out here in Arizona with Paul Canerco. Our boys are oh, the same age. Really? Yeah. So Paul and I have a 12U team that we've been coaching now for like three years. Wow. That's awesome. He. It's interesting because uh, Paul doesn't have any social media or anything like that. He's a pretty just kind of down to earth, just normal. Don't tell, anybody, I, don't tell anybody I told you this, but he actually does, but you'll never find out who his name is. <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the great. Part. I love yeah. it. He, he, he likes to just get on there and like, you know, check out some of the like, you know, Bob Menery and some of those like, like classic, like Twitter follows, but like nobody knows it's him. That's sounds awesome. Like Do you guys account? What's that? Sounds like he has a burner account. Yeah, sort of something like that. That's funny. Uh, JJ, I want to transition back to you for a second. Um, and how kind of your overall approach with you when you were uh, pitching and, and memorable at bats in your career that, so from my understanding, you threw a four seamer with a two seamer that you threw mostly to lefties. Yeah. And then you did a mid eighties, the mid eighties splitter that you threw and the occasional cutter and slider to right handers. Yep. The slider and, was more of a, more of like trying to steal a strike early in the count. It wasn't very good. Okay. Kind of something and, like a little different wrinkle. How did you kind of decide to come up with that, how you chose to attack them like that and, and your process about all this? So when I was a starter in the minor leagues, I was like a traditional starter, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. And 
once you get transitioned to the bullpen, it's kind of hard to get four pitches ready to come in and, you know, three minutes to get ready and kind of come in for one quick inning. So kind of condensed everything. The curveball kind of went away with the split. And it just kind of was one of those things. I remember Kenji Jojimo was our catch in Seattle. And he kind of he – was, he was also another guy that was, was big with me because – he, he had a different approach to like calling a game because in Japan they kind of call games backwards a little bit. Like they're not they're not afraid to throw like off speed early and put a guy away late with a fastball. And for for me, Kenji was one of those guys that would like call the slider early on, even though he knows like this is a terrible pitch to call right here, but you might steal a strike on a righty right here, and then now you've kind of got the guy where you want him. And for me, the the, the two seamer and the four seamer, the two seamer sinking away from a lefty was a good pitch, to, like ground ball pitch to get like early contact on. And, you know, for me, I, I never really wanted to go running a ball in on a righty because if you don't get it in, that ball usually doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of that's just kind of the way I would approach everything. You know, Eddie Gordano told me early on late in the game, don't get beat to the pull side. If somebody's going to beat you, make them take you oppo. So for me, it was always four seamers down away to righties and then sinking two seamers to lefties. And then for me, it was like I just wanted to get ahead because the quicker I could get to my split, the better chance I knew I had. Were there that, any batters that you felt like you just had a really difficult time against and you hated facing because you just couldn't get them out? Gary Matthews Jr., Orlando Cabrera. Um, <laughs> He's got them Gary all ready Matthews, to go. I'll tell you, this, you knew right away. Right away. Gary Matthews Jr., I'm not sure this is even – this is going to be a guess, but I know it's educated guess. I'm going to say he was probably somewhere along the lines of like 9 for 13 off me with like three homers and four doubles. And wow. – this will tell you, like, when a guy owns you, like, you know he owns you, and he knows he owns you, right? So <laughs> I hadn't thrown a curveball in, like, three years. And I'm like, I told our catcher, I'm listen, I can't get this guy out. I'm going to throw him a first-pitch curveball. Homer. He hit it out. I'm like, well, that's when you just tip the cap. And I actually was in – I was in um, – I think it was in Capri, Italy, like, in, like, 2013 with Joe Saunders. You remember the lefty with the Angels? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So our wives, we, we took him there for, like, a quick trip. And – uh who do we see walking down the street there? Gary Matthews Jr. I'm like, yeah. God, this guy haunts me everywhere. No, that that's great. I actually, have, while we're talking, I'm gonna I'm looking up your career versus him, but it's, um, got, it's something stupid. It's like it's, it's bad. Did uh, do you remember? Do you have a memorable pitching battle or at bat where you were like you you were like a 10, 15 pitch at bat and a guy just tore your heart out with something or facing any of the uh, like uh, Albert Pujols or any of those type of guys? You know, I just remember, and I know this guy doesn't have great numbers off me, but Michael Young, I felt like I never had an easy at bat against him. Um, and, and I think, I think his numbers weren't very good, but I'm going to tell you this, there were, those numbers aren't really true. Like if you look at it, like, like, Oh, he hit like 200 off. Him. Like it doesn't matter. Like every one of those at bats was a grind and, that that guy that's one of the guys that I love to face and, and love to compete against because he does everything the right way, first class guy, and man, he was just a pro hitter, pro hitter. Yeah. Just he would spoil pitch after pitch after pitch. I mean, you had to work for every one of those outs against that guy. Yeah, his yeah. prime was way too short. I I feel like he must have gotten injured or something because he was a great hitter for a while there, and yeah. just, for some reason, it just went away really fast. He, he did. was amazing. Yeah, he was so good. So JJ, I gotta ask, where is the Roll Age Relief Man Award in your house? It's uh, in our um, theater bar area, sitting right there. 
I love it because they don't they don't give that award away anymore, right? I don't think so. I'm not I'm not really sure, but it's a freaking pretty cool award, man. It's a big old freaking fire hat. It's awesome. Oh, that's that's awesome. Love hearing that. JJ, do you if you went on the mound right now, do you know what you top out at? I think I could probably hit 80 because where we where we do our cage work with our team, they have a bullpen mound there. And, you know, that's where our kids throw their bullpens. And every once in a while, I get up there and, like, pump some in there just to see if I still got it. And I, that's when I realize I really don't. All right. If you <laughs> pitch to Paul, would you strike him out or would he get a homer off of you? I think he would get the better of me now. Ah. I, know I, I know I got the better of him back when it mattered. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if you could get a Thunderstruck glared in before you pitched? I, that, uh, might, that might get me up to, like, 84. Okay. I got. I, I, I gotta tell you, I that is one of the biggest pump up songs. I love it when I'm working out. How did you pick that song? Obviously, it's a great choice. Yeah. How, what's your process for choosing your 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 closer song when you're coming in? So I was with Kevin Martinez, who was a guy in Seattle who kind of did all that type of stuff there, and we were talking over a couple songs, and one was like "Battle of the Drums" by Godsmack, and then. He's like, listen, you know, and Thunderstruck was one of the ones we talked about. So I came into FanFest that year, or we were doing like this caravan thing. And he brought me down in like the family room area. And he's like, I got to show you something. And he showed like the whole video thing that they were going to use in the stadium. And it's the only time I've ever seen it because obviously it's behind me when I'm warming up. Yeah. And as soon as I got about 10 seconds into this thing, I'm like, we're going with Thunderstruck, baby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I just found that Gary Matthews, you weren't kidding. He had the most hits of any hitter versus you in your career. There you go. Eight, eight you. for eight for 13 with uh, two doubles, three homers. Ah, it's just ownage, man. Wow. And you and you were right. You Orlando Cabrera, seven of 14. Vlad, Vlad did pretty good. Vlad had, was seven of 18 against you. Yep. And yeah, you said, Mike, you, you really knew the guys. That's, that's pretty awesome. I'm telling you, you, you know it. You just know it. And it, you, you, know who, you know when they're in the on-deck circle, and you're like, hey, we better end this game now or it's going to keep going. <laughs> JJ, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this. We do a little rapid fire with all, all our right. guests. So there, some of them will be a little weird, but okay. hopefully questions you never heard. All right. All right. Number, number one, get a save or get another reliever out of a jam. Oh, get the save because ultimately we're going to win the game. Love it. Love it. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Ben Affleck as Christian or Ben Affleck or Christian Bale as Batman. Oh, Christian Bale. Come on. Not even close. Yeah. The voice does it all for sure. Yeah. Would you rather sleep in the closet at your friend's house or sleep on the bed at your boss's house? <laughs> um, I'm going to go closet at my friend's a safe yeah. choice yeah, yeah i'm gonna go that way have a one minute conversation with your past self or your future self past tell them stuff to avoid and all yeah. that okay. yeah tell them not to throw that pitch to matthews <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't throw the curve yeah be a cat with a human face or a dog with human hands for paws dog <laughs> i'll take the dog i'm not a big cat guy I respect it. Fulfill the, your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say biggest wish. I like that. Um, wish. Clog the toilet on you and your wife's first date 
or clog the toilet in the locker room? Locker room all day long. <laughs> no one's going to want to sit next to you when you're in the bullpen, though. That's right. I don't care. It's fine. Better <laughs> than a date. Yeah. Fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? <laughs> I'm going to go with the one horse-sized duck because, like, you know, it's one-on-one. You don't know where these other ducks are. Flying horses are going to be coming from. But you think you could take the horse-sized duck? That's a big duck. I mean, is it a guy or a girl? If it's a guy, I'll just kick him in the balls. Well, you know what? You're the first one that's ever asked that question for this question. That's a very good thought. I'm going to say it's a guy. Yeah, kick him in the big balls he's got and then get him down and (laughs) go to town. JJ, I feel like you got a mean right hook. I could just see you charging him and getting a a punch and knocking him out right away. Yeah, you never know. I'll take my chances one-on-one. All right, last one. Sneeze every time you say the word who or have the urge to pee every time you say when? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say when, because I don't think I say the word when a lot, but I think I always ask them like, who's doing this or who did this? Cause my kids always do something. So I'm going to yeah. go with the when, but then that urge to pee is so tough though. It's like, I, I would hate that. I mean, if you don't say it a lot, I guess that's right. Just, but. just hope nobody asks you meet me here and then you follow up with when i would probably say what time <laughs> oh that's good <laughs> there you go <laughs> around it you can work it, around it it's funny because we had a uh, ty buttry on for the angels uh, a couple months ago and he said that these are like he's like you should just rename these the bullpen questions because these are things we'd sit and just talk about in the bullpen during that the game true. We, we used to play never or which would you like would you rather and, and there's some sick people i'm gonna tell you that JJ, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was truly a treat to get to talk to you. My pleasure, guys. Good job. It was fun. Make sure if you want to see more of JJ, you go follow him at JJputs40 on Instagram. And I'm sorry, on Twitter. No Instagram. But then you can watch him dance and dab if you look. There's a, I don't know how long ago it was, but I, I was dying. You had that down. Yeah, I think it was the... Uh... The Rolex song, right? The Rolly Rolly yes. Rolly. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you can tell I got kids. That, that's how you know I got kids. Because I know how to do all the Rolly stuff. <laughs> that's cool awesome. Stuff. JJ, thanks again, man. Take care. Right, stay safe out there. Thanks, JJ. Yeah.